Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. This is DeRay, and welcome to Pod Save the People. In this episode, it's me, Sam, Kai, and Diara, as usual, talking about the news that you don't know from the past week. And then Netta joins us to talk about what's happening with the protests. And then I sit down with the host of the new Lemonada podcast, Add to Cart, Suchin and Kulap, to talk about what we agree to when we consume both products and ideas. My advice of the week is about the current political climate. And you heard our forever first lady say, when they go low, we go high. And the way I've always thought about that is that when they go low, we go high, as in we go high to our values. We go back to the things that called us to the work. We go to our core beliefs about why we do what we do, and that helps us fight harder than we've ever fought before. When they go low, we go high doesn't mean that we take some metaphorical, you know, passive stance. It means that we fight Like everything is on the line. We go back to the things that called us to the work. So I'd say take this week to remember why you started to do this work, why you believe in justice. Go back to those things because as we start a new administration, we'll need to be rooted in our values like we've never been before. Family, family, welcome to another episode of Pod Save the People. I am Diara Ballinger. You can find me if you'd like on Twitter and Instagram at Diara Ballinger. I'm Sam Sinyangwe at Sam Sway on Twitter. And this is Dre at DIY on Twitter. So many things to talk about. I mean, it is Martin Luther, the King Jr. weekend. Inauguration coming shortly, imminently. Lots of things to talk about. I mean, I think it's getting harder and harder for me to hold those two thoughts in my head. The fact that it's MLK weekend and that inauguration is finally here since there's so many unknowns around inauguration, hopefully it goes on peacefully um, and there is a peaceful transition. Um, but there's a lot of intelligence telling folks otherwise. DC's basically on complete lockdown. Also just, you know, it's still COVID. We still have, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that have died and more potential deaths. So I think inauguration, in spite of all these things, it's just... Yes, it's it's definitely positive, but I think still a lot of unknowns here. I'm, I'm also in Tulsa, everybody. And so I think just given that it's 100 years since the 1921 massacre um, and just what I've seen since I've been here, I'm in a mood, I must say. So you have to bear, have to bear with me. You know, a reckoning is a long time coming. And so I am still hopeful that this administration will bring along some change. But I, I am thinking more and more that it is going to take us, the people, the collective to, to move us where we really want to be. And hopefully we get there in my lifetime. You know, it's um, I keep looking at the inauguration and a part of me is like, if you got to shut down all of D.C. to do it, maybe we should just put it somewhere else. But shutting it down to do it and it's on the Internet. Yeah. Like, that's why I'm just like, it's not even like the typical we're going to do all these things and the parade and then this and the that. It's like this man, they're being sworn in on the steps of the Capitol. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Aretha Franklin ain't singing. Roxanne Gay ain't going to do a poem. It's not. Yeah, it just is really. <laughs> and it's one of those things where like, I mean, obviously we're like, mm, can you trust the police? Probably not. You can't trust the FBI. See, like all the secret service. They've all been on, on this game, Biden. So it's like y'all are trying to keep Trump's people as far away as possible. Mind you, Trump is stealing artifacts from the White House. That picture of them taking the bust of Lincoln just straight out the front door of the White House is amazing. And it's like, you know, I don't know when, because the Biden team probably isn't going to leak it, but I want to know, like, the first week story. Like, what was, did they take all the doorknobs? Did they, like, delete all the files from the, I know these people are going to do something dastardly, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, um, is I keep thinking about the vaccines is, 
you know, as they open it to be more people, so, you know, phase one in a lot of places, hospitals, and it's elderly and teachers, and, and then it'll be sort of pre-existing conditions, I think, and da-da. It'll be interesting to see, like, what that becomes, especially with the new strain, where you need to get two vaccines for the new strain, or, like, how will that be? Will people take it? Will will CVS turn out to be, will Dwayne Reed and Rite Aid and the dollar store turn out to be the great relief, or will it take the National Guard setting up vaccination stations, And the last thing is I'm interested to see, too, how we overcome the pandemic when we finally have just strong leadership. Like when the governor is like Trump is still lying to the governors uh, about the vaccine distribution at the very least. And to just think about how easy we might recover, given like there will just be smart people in the government again, is actually pretty refreshing. And DR, you know this because you were in the government and Sam, you worked with the people during the Obama team, as we all did is that I think in so many ways the Obama staffers were like, wow, look at the young people in really cool jobs and da-da-da-da. And now those people are older. And actually, and a lot of them, we know them, are coming back in the Biden administration. And we're like, wow, I remember sitting at a table with you. I remember when you did that. Like, And that actually is sort of cool to watch it happen. Like I think about um, I think about some of the recent appointments, and I'm like, I saw you grow up over the past four years, and now you're like the deputy director of so-and-so. And it's like, that actually makes me feel good. So, you know, seeing the first sort of round of the vaccine beginning to get distributed is cool. You know, seeing the the headlines around California and they're opening up stadiums now for folks who are, I think it's 65 and older to get the vaccine. You know, I'm reminded that there is like so much that has to be done in terms of coordination um, to actually make sure that enough people are vaccinated to deal with this crisis. So it's not one dose, but two, right? So then the second dose, like there's been a lot of conversation around like, where are all the second doses? Will people get them in time for them to be administered in a way that actually can protect people? Um, How are we tracking these? I mean, the vaccines have to be stored at something like negative, like 90 degrees Fahrenheit, some wild temperature that is really difficult. You have to get, you know, specialized equipment for like CVS, Dwayne Reed has to have that equipment. Um, So there's like so much logistically that needs to happen uh, in order for this vaccine strategy to work. And that's not even getting to the like political barriers. The fact that so many people don't want to take the vaccine, aren't comfortable taking the vaccine. Um, the What I worry about now as you know, the Biden-Harris administration comes in is the interplay between uh, the federal government and state and local governments, particularly Republican state and local governments that you know might see uh, it as a politically convenient thing to do to say bad things about the vaccine or to refuse the Biden administration's help. I mean, we saw a lot of that under the Obama administration around health care, and I worry about now that it's not true. Trump uh, sort of trying to take credit for the vaccine, what happens to Republicans um, and their potential resistance to or refusal to participate um, in that coordination that's necessary. So, you know, I think there's a lot of potential. Uh, It's great that the vaccine is getting administered, um, but we got a whole lot of work left to do. All right, y'all. So my news is essentially a review. It's in the New York Times. It's about Sam Pollard's documentary, MLK FBI. I'm just on a roll. You know, I watched this film before I got on the plane to Tulsa. (laughs) I don't know why I chose to watch it um, this particular weekend, but just given it was MLK weekend um, and I'd read so much about it. I'm also just a a fan of Sam Pollard's work. And so if you don't know about him, please check out his catalog. I mean, it goes from Eyes on the Prize to the documentary on the Four Little Girls. He did a documentary on Jim Brown. He did that documentary on Atlanta's Missing Children. I don't know if y'all saw that one. And he also is an executive producer for Tiger's um, documentary, which is out right now on HBO Max that I watched um, the first episode of that, which is really fascinating. But this documentary really digs into, you know, Hoover's really bizarre and maniacal fascination with MLK. I knew and, I, you know, kind of you know, read and studied that MLK had been surveilled. And, and it's mostly between the March on Washington until his assassination. But I didn't understand the degree to which he was actually surveilled by the FBI at the direction of Hoover. Phones tapped, you know, hotels bugged, everything you can think of that was technologically possible at that time. Um, And a lot of it was centered on MLK's infidelities, right? And some of it may be true, some of it may not be true. We really won't know until these tapes that are really the center of this documentary. Some of the papers and the communication has been released, but the actual recordings of MLK won't be released until um, 2027. But anyhow, it's just 
really fascinating to learn more about Hoover's intention of really bringing MLK down and just went to such great lengths to do so um, and was unsuccessful with this particular effort. The other thing that I didn't know that was fascinating that the documentary taught me, and this is spoiler alert, but MLK was actually being surveilled on the day he was assassinated. Like the FBI were actually on site at the Lorraine Motel, which is wild to think about (laughs) because they could have intervened. The efforts that were going into surveilling him actually could have been used to protect him. And I think that really, I think I'm still sitting with that and still processing that because as I think about and process this documentary and also consulting on Judas and the Black Messiah and understanding the surveillance that went into the surveillance and ultimate assassination of Fred Hampton Jr. Um, and then just also, you know, folks, folks in the movement who are continually surveilled and targeted by the state. You know, I think it's just an understanding that folks who made a difference in my life and continue to do so today, you know, folks that we've lost, but also folks who are living and breathing and active in the movement today are in danger. It's traumatic. It's sad. It's all these things because it's like I couldn't live the life that I want to live. I couldn't live a liberated life without these sacrifices that other folks are making. And so I think it just, you know, really pressed upon me what more I could be doing. But yeah, but just wanted to bring it to the pod because I think the story of MLK has been told in so many ways. But I think this particular way really spoke to me and really uncovered such a connectivity to what's going on right now that I just wanted to share. So it was really wild reading this article, in particular in the context of what we have just seen uh, happen at the Capitol and the white supremacist terrorism that we're seeing all across the country that they've now need thousands of military troops in D.C. to defend against. And I'm like reminded that the FBI has poured money into going all the way back to the 60s poured money into surveilling, intimidating, tracking every single movement of black organizers and activists leading all the way up to the present day, leading up to, you know, reports that came out that we've talked about on the pod of um, them creating a special category for black identity extremism, they call it, and devoting resources to uh, surveilling activists within the movement. That's sort of the double standard or the difference in approach between the FBI's approach to black people literally organizing for liberation peacefully and you know, white supremacists who are posting online weeks in advance that they've got all these guns and they're going to go to the Capitol and start an insurrection. And like no FBI agent showed up at their door. Like there wasn't any attempt to stop them from actually going. Like they were able to get on the plane and board the plane. There weren't, you know, agents following them. Like none of that stuff happened. They just walked right in. Right. And so, you know, it's wild. And I worry that like, as we start to talk about the Biden-Harris administration and, you know, thinking about domestic terrorism, and whether we need new laws for it or what the FBI should be doing differently. Like we can't have the same people responsible for our strategy uh, at combating white supremacist terrorism who themselves have participated in allowing, enabling, and in many cases, reinforcing existing systems of white supremacy and surveillance against black organizers uh, and activists. And so um, like we need to change up who is in those positions, first of all. We need to change up where the government is putting its resources and the tools that it's using um, when, when we're thinking about whether the FBI is prioritizing uh, a focus on you know people who are organizing um, for liberation or a focus on people who are trying to come into the Capitol and overthrow the government. There's a lot that is extremely relevant to the moment that we're in now and to the decisions that have to be made you know immediately in this next administration to hopefully change um, our approach um, to what is considered a threat to national security, what is considered uh, something that the you know the FBI should actually intervene in and stop, um, and and what is actually quite necessary in terms of us realizing a goal of equity in our society. So people should definitely watch the documentary. It feels it's so interesting to think that we're still learning new stuff. You're like that's a while. And when the documents get released in 2027, I think it's like, can you trust the FBI? Right? Like who don't they could say they found. Martin Luther King poisoning people at dinners. And I'd be like, nah, I don't really. You know, like, it is, it's one of those things where you're like, you might show me a video of it happening. And I'd be like, they made up the video. Like, they went so hard against him that it's like, 
who knows what is true and what's not true. So like that is, that's also interesting. Um, I think about that. It makes me think about the new uh, Fred Hampton, William O'Neill movie too. Like, you know, I didn't know there's all this stuff about what I, I didn't really know about William O'Neill and, you know, his relationship to law enforcement. So I think that this conversation about law enforcement's relationship with movement seems to be like a 2021 theme and trying to think about what have they done in the past six years is probably fascinating too. I think about when, you know, I was labeled as like a high risk by that firm in Baltimore during the, during the protests there. And like, that was weird and bizarre and, and interesting. The second thing I'll say is just echoing what Sam said about like, y'all, they had all these, if they had the resources to do that to one person way back when, before there was like cell phones, then they got to have better technology than I got today. And all I'm white supremacists just walked into the Capitol. Like, you know, slamming into Pelosi's desk and in the new videos that are coming out about the Capitol are even wilder. Like white people really did just walk in and film themselves destroying the Capitol. And we're like, we go home and take, take pictures of it. You're like, that's its own thing. The third thing though, is to me, I'm always interested in how much we police the crimes of poor people and justice work. And, the wealthiest people in society do the most heinous stuff. And not only do we allow them to do it without paying taxes, but then when they make huge errors that like ruin people's generational aspirations, we're like, that was a mistake and let us pass a bill to correct it. You're like what? Like that is sort of fascinating to me. So when I think about the IRS, I want them, I want a whole, I want half the IRS to be focused on white collar crime. I want to take all these people committing tax fraud, I want them out of here. Because you know what? When we get all that money back, we'll be paying for Medicare for all, healthcare for everybody. We'll call it call it whatever you want. We'll be giving people checks just because they're alive, not because they prove that they're worthy of something. That is the last thing I'll say. This is an aside. It has nothing to do with the FBI. But seeing people online be big haters about people making $15 an hour has really taken me to a new level. People being like, wow, I don't think people have McDonald's. You're like... Why do you care if people make $15 an hour? Why should that's still no money? That's still 30 ish thousand dollars. I mean, it's not like people are becoming millionaires off $15 an hour, but to see people be just such big haters about it was, uh, was surprising in some way. Again, it ain't got nothing to do with the FBI, but on my mind. Well, it was interesting too from the documentary because Hoover was quoted saying that, you know, the most dangerous thing in America was the perseverance or the growing of a black messiah and the fear was that they would take over the capital which was wild to me because i don't know we haven't taken over capital um maybe in oakland the black panther party did a time or two but you know i just feel like to see all the fear mongering and what we need to actually be scared of is what happened on january 6th is just the wild thing that's what's wild so much of this is projection, right? So the things that they are, as you said, Yara, the things that they are imagining black people are going to do are exactly the things that actually like white supremacists have been organizing to like take over the capital, have been organizing to overthrow the government, like have been organizing to use violence quite explicitly like as a tool of terrorism uh, to change sort of the political calculus in this country. And despite all of that, like the FBI does they're not investing in uh you know how do we stop that? Like that is not their their MO. That's not what they've been doing over the past six years, clearly, because they just allowed people to walk right into the Capitol and fulfill those um, sort of sick fantasies, right? And so, again, it's, I'm like reminded, and, you know, this goes all the way back to, you know, 2016. I remember, you know, a number of organizers and activists within the movement were visited by the FBI, were questioned by the FBI um, over like a, a conspiracy theory on like white supremacist, you know, media outlets and far right blogs um, that people were going to come in and stop the nomination of Donald Trump and force Obama to declare martial law and like basically take over the government, which is like basically what 
the white supremacists just tried to do, right? Like they literally tried to do that. No FBI agent showed up at their door. They were like telegraphing it for miles, like weeks in advance with like guns in the photos, like all of that. And like, they didn't get a single visit. Like they didn't get stopped at all. And yet like black organizers, you could like somebody put out a tweet suggesting that that might happen. And all of a sudden the FBI is like encircling entire communities uh, to surveil. So it's wild, you know, this is continuous. This is recent history just as much as it reflects um, a historical legacy that we've seen time and time again. I just wanted to say, Sam, Sam isn't saying that the FBI visited his house. They did. They visited my house. They did. They, they did. They did. And they visited Netta's house. So, like, this is not an abstraction to us. This is real. Yep. Exactly. And I, But I think the thing that, like, I want folks to understand is that the, the level of self-sacrifice that that takes to put yourself in that position is great. The benefit that I get and others get from that is also great because it's because you all do what you do. There are other folks like myself that get to walk into rooms that I wouldn't otherwise be able to walk into. Now I get to snapping on people and talking crazy once I get in there. But, you know, it's just it's connected. So I just I don't know. I don't know if we keep that in or whatever we're doing with that. But I think it's, it's important for people to understand. I think it also helps people bring it into the present. Like the shit is happening right now and it's happening to people that, you know, and that you can name. So my news is about Bitcoin. So. So Bitcoin, you know, you probably know like that one friend who is always trying to get you to buy Bitcoin and saying it's a great thing. You're going to make a lot of money. Um, it turns out that, you know, it's been up and down over the years. This past year, Bitcoin has increased in value by something like 300 percent, although it recently dropped uh, a little bit. I came across an article that just like blew my mind. Um, and this article was about people who were early investors who bought Bitcoin early when they weren't worth anything um, and now have a, amassed a huge fortune um, now that the value of Bitcoin has gone up hundreds of thousands, in some cases, millions, tens, even hundreds of millions of dollars um, in their digital wallets. But the catch is they forgot the password to be able to access the money. So Bitcoin is different than a lot of uh, other investments that you might make in the sense that it is decentralized. There's not like a person who you can call for customer service if you forget your password. Um, there's not like a, a company that you can go to that um, controls all the Bitcoin. It can help you sort out whatever you know, needs you have for technical support. It is completely decentralized and online. Uh, and what that means is that if you forget the password, you get a couple of attempts to figure it out. And if you can't figure it out in those attempts, you get locked out of your account and out of your money. And so in this article, there were a number of people that they talked to, one of whom um, had over $200 million in that account, had tried over the years to guess the password, um, was coming down to their last guess and I just couldn't like th like reading the story. Like I didn't realize that there were like people walking around who had technically hundreds of millions of dollars in investments that they were one password away from accessing, but had no way of figuring out that password and accessing that money. Um, so I thought that that was um, sort of wild. The other thing is that this is a uh, huge, huge market for companies that try that are like security companies that try to uh, unlock people's passwords. They're making a whole lot of money and getting a whole lot of requests from people. Um, but but again, like this is a whole uh, market. A lot of people have made a lot of money with Bitcoin, but uh, some of those people, at least twenty percent of all money in Bitcoin is either lost or uh, is in a digital wallet that can no longer be accessed. $140 billion um, is just sort of lost. Um, so, um, you know, we think that money is real, but a lot of it is like literally up in the air. Um, and people are one password away from millions, uh, but are sort of tearing their hair out trying to figure out that password. One of the things that I think is interesting is like the thought that you could have that's really some disposable income to just <laughs> put money away and forget the password is some real, I'm not, that's a, that is a level to be at that I'm still trying to wrap my head around. Uh, the other thing though is, this is a, an aside about Bitcoin, is that Iran is having massive blackouts right now and is blaming it on the Bitcoin mining. That Bitcoin requires a lot of computers to, to like do the algorithms to keep it secure and the government is like, 
they're breaking the electricity grid in Iran, which is why they're blackouts. And I was like, I had, hadn't even thought that a government would blame, I don't know, Bitcoin on massive blackouts. Like that was sort of interesting. But hopefully on the pod, we're going to get a Bitcoin uh, expert to talk about Bitcoin. I'm interested. You know, people talk about it as a replacement for banks and secure, but these people losing their passwords is enough for me to be like, mm, I think I'm going to go with the bank. That to me is like, I think the bank might be my option for now until I can figure out how not to have something like this happen. So uh, Sam, I'm happy you brought it. It's leading me to go learn some stuff. Um, so my news, this is so, this was interesting to me. Uh, I don't know how I stumbled across this article about men and friendship. This idea that there's a friendship crisis amongst men in that, there's a study that came out in the early 2000s about men and friendship, and it led to all these conversations. And somehow I stumbled across this. Essentially, what they're trying to sort of push into is this idea of bromance and and like that men have all these incredible relationships with each other and da da da. And there were a lot of things that I thought were interesting. One is that uh, men really struggle to maintain friendships with people, uh, and that men tend to bond around experiences, not necessarily their feelings. So there was another study that showed that in a survey, almost 80% of men's relationships were around sports, for instance, uh, which was interesting. And the 2006 analysis that was published in the American Sociological Review, they found that Americans generally have fewer friends outside the family than they used to and that young, white, educated men have lost more friends in other groups. The study that I talked about, Jeffrey, Professor Grief at the University of Maryland Social, School of Social Work, who wrote a book about male friendship, uh, he surveyed hundreds of men about how often they socialize with friends, and about 80% said it was sports, either watching or participating. There are people writing now about what happens with the pandemic when there are no game days. This article talks about no game days, no bars. And people are actually having to think about what friendship means and that men are just, you know, the isolation is actually deadly in some ways. Is that in 2018, the suicide rate among men was three times higher than among women. Mm. And the research shows that men are less likely to admit that they're lonely than women are. While other research suggests men derive more of their emotional intimacy from the women in their lives. And in another study, married men were more likely than married women to list their spouse as their best friend. It was just interesting to think about, we talked about before, the unintended consequences of the pandemic, but also just the consequences of loneliness or the lack of friendship. And, you know, there are consequences. So social isolation weakens our immune system and makes us susceptible to diseases like Alzheimer's, diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease cancer and uh, death, you know? So I'll stop there, but just really interesting research about boys and men. There's a whole nother study about adolescent boys and friendship. So I wanted to bring it to the pod. Yeah. I mean, this was um, really spot on and, you know, it caused a lot of reflection for me as I'm thinking back, you know, so much of the past, I don't know, year um, that we've been under quarantine, like I can count on one hand, like the number of like friends that I have like legitimately hung out with, probably like two or three people, right? And I think that that is, it's tough. Like in the context of a pandemic, I think of a lot of um, like even my relatives and, and some of my friends who like they are in some cases, some of them are like breaking quarantine to like go to a game just to be like with friends. Um, and I'm like, why, are you, what are you doing at the game? Like, I didn't even know they were having like football games anymore. And, and they're like, well, like, you know, I wanted to go hang out with friends and, and see each other in a while. And I'm like, well, that's not worth it. But I, I sort of get like the impulse and the sense of isolation and the feeling that there needs to be a level of connectedness um, that in many cases has, you know, dropped off because of the quarantine, because of social distancing, which sort of has built on some of these trends that have been around for a while. So it is really tough. And part of part of reading this, what was interesting about it was there's like a whole research literature around this, right? Like this is like there is a professor and like this is what that professor does, like studies male friendships and like how these relationships are formed and how they're sustained and like trends over time. And like that's a whole like body of, of work that I'm like not familiar with, but is obviously like deeply relevant and connected to like my lived experience and, and a lot of men's lived experience. And so I think um, definitely, you know, this is one of those articles that pique my interest that I want to learn more about the context because part of this is like the feeling of isolation, feeling that you're alone. Um, part of it is realizing that like a lot of us feel that way. Um, 
And not only that, but I think that there are some broader sort of cultural currents that we need, like as men, to push back on, right? This idea that like we can't talk about our feelings and like the only time that we can really hang out is like talk about sports. Like that is not healthy. Um, so I think that there are like a set of like behaviors and trends that, that are exacerbating now under the pandemic that like we need to name, learn about, like study the research, learn about how do we break out of that? Um, how do we do it safely so we're not like going to events that could be dangerous in the context of COVID, but definitely something that I'm interested in learning more about. My news is about D.C. statehood. As a resident of Washington, D.C., this is an important issue to me. And the insurrection on January 6th has brought a whole new conversation to light around statehood. In fact, leaders from more than 60 civil rights, labor, racial justice, and progressive organizations issued a statement on Friday urging soon-to-be President Biden to fast-track D.C. statehood in response to the insurrection on January the 6th. They cite the district's inability to deploy the National Guard, because it's not a state, as the reason why elected officials and others were endangered at the Capitol. The statement also asserts that D.C.'s lack of statehood is rooted in white supremacy and that the lack of representation for nearly a half a million Washingtonians of color is one of the worst cases of voter suppression in our country. The list includes organizations like the NAACP, the National Black Justice Coalition, Planned Parenthood Action Fund, the American Federation of Teachers, and the National Education Association, the two largest teachers union, the UFCW, Fair Fight Action, Move On, March for Our Lives, the Sierra Club, Voto Latino, and more. Many Americans don't realize that the 712,000 residents of D.C. don't have representation in Congress. D.C. residents pay the highest per capita federal income tax in the United States, more than 22 other states, but we have no say over how those tax dollars are spent. The fact that D.C. has no voice in the Capitol and no autonomy to defend its own streets without federal approval was made evident to the world during the insurrection and is reigniting the push for D.C. statehood. A July 2019 Gallup poll found that only 29% of Americans were supportive of D.C. statehood. But as of last year, polling is up, showing 43% supporting statehood. Most Republicans approve statehood for D.C. because it's a Democratic-leaning city, with more than 75% registered Democrats. The district has also voted Democratic in every presidential election. In fact, statehood would likely mean two Democratic senators and a Democratic House representative. For years, progressive organizations and federal employees unions have pushed for statehood. In fact, statehood bills have been introduced every year since 1965. But maybe 2021 will have a different outcome. Don't go anywhere. More politics the people's coming. In the decades before the Civil War, slavery's grip on America tightened. But soon, a diverse group of abolitionists, both black and white, began to construct a clandestine path to freedom for the enslaved. Hosted by Lindsey Graham, Wondery's podcast, American History Tellers, takes you to the events, times, and people that shaped America and Americans, our values, our struggles, and our dreams. In the latest series, American History Tellers explores the Underground Railroad, a covert network of secret routes and safe houses operated by men and women committed to helping enslaved people escape bondage in the South. Fugitive slaves and anyone helping them face terrible violence and even death if caught. But for those brave enough to risk the journey, the Underground Railroad offered a path to the northern states and Canada where their freedom was assured. Follow American History Tellers on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge this season's American History Tellers, the Underground Railroad, early and ad-free right now on Wondery+. Plus. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, what's the first thing that you'd do if you had a ton of extra time in a day? Maybe I'd take a nap, go for a run, talk to some friends. Now, a lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? Now, the best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and to make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you help you process the world around you, help you think through the most important things, how you spend your time, where you spend your energy, especially your emotional energy. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. 
It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com people today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash people. Pot Save America is brought to you by Helix. If you're looking for better sleep, you need to upgrade your mattress with Helix. The Helix lineup offers 20 unique mattresses, including the award-winning Lux Collection, the newly released and high-end Helix Elite Collection, mm. a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and even a mattress made just for kids, which Charlie has. Charlie has a Helix mattress now, just for kids, in his uh, race car bed. Very nice. excited, very happy about it. Take the Helix Sleep Quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes, and uh, it ships straight to your door free of charge. They even offer a 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. If you're a side sleeper, you can choose a model with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief. There are also models with more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions. Plus, check out enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating while you sleep. It's no wonder Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews. And you, you've loved your Helix mattress. I love I got a Don Lux. There you go. And there it's you go. great. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash crooked. That's helixsleep.com slash crooked. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. And now, a check-in with Danetta Elzey, as she gives us an update on what's happening with the protests. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's me, Netta, and thanks for tuning back in. Things are still tense as we wait for whatever else is planned to happen at the Capitol this week besides an actual inauguration of the 46th president. With the city itself shutting down, closing off sections of neighborhoods and the metro to attempt to keep the public safe from potential threats. I just keep asking myself, why on earth did I move back to D.C.? (laughs) Woo! So before moving back east, another option was going to spend time in San Diego with a good friend of mine to rest after the semester had ended. And thinking logically, I wanted to be near a majority of my friends just in case anything ever happened and I was missing that bigger community vibe. I found myself back in D.C. and wow, (laughs) in the words of Future and Drake, what a time to be alive. What does it mean when every day of your life features an unprecedented event? Every day? So in puppy dog news, Sage met her new cousin, Ivy, a sweet little German shepherd puppy. The two roughhoused, and it was actually amazing to see little Sage be the responsible one in a duo for once. So shout out to my friend Camila and her dog, Ivy. I also want to give a special thank you to Candace, Peyton, Clifton, and Storm, a few organizers from back home. I met Cliff as a teenager in 2014 during the Ferguson protests. Storm, Candace, Deshanya, Peyton, and others all came from this incredible organizing work from the Concerned Student 1950 movement at Mizzou. I really appreciate the call last week, and I'm so honored that y'all actually still listen to my little segment on here. I love y'all. Thank you. So I did an interview recently, and the reporter asked me what gets me the most excited about my work. And you know me, I just told her the first thing that came to my mind, and that's my favorite part about my work is talking to and reconnecting with and making new connections with organizers. It's reconnecting with everyone who is doing the work that myself and so many others were doing in Ferguson in 2014 without even knowing that there was a job title that described the position itself. It's having the ability to show up how I wished someone would have shown up for us back then. So, y'all know what time it is. Let's get into the news. Anybody remember the Oath Keepers that showed up in Ferguson in the St. Louis area back in 2014? On Christmas Eve that year, the police had just killed Antonio Martin in Berkeley, a suburb of St. Louis County. It was freezing outside, and along with the frozen winds and rain, the Oath Keepers popped up. I posted a pic of two white men standing on top of an auto body shop that night onto Twitter. And in the photo, you see two white men masked, wearing what seems to be tactical gear. For so long, people were confused about who the Oath Keepers actually were. They could have been the police themselves. Back then, in the moment, on the ground, we just didn't know. The Oath Keepers who showed up to the protest that night in Berkeley have stated that they believe it is their job to defend the Constitution against all enemies, 
foreign and domestic, which is similar to the oath that military and police take. Many of them claim to actually be former military police and first responders. So at the time, the police thought nothing of their co-workers and friends coming to the protest as so-called oath keepers. There was no accountability or any real response from any local official regarding this bold act of pretending to have authority. The Oath Keepers popped up again in St. Louis around the first anniversary of Mike Brown Jr.'s death in 2015. And before their most recent appearance at the Capitol, the last time we saw them was summer 2020 in Louisville during the uprising there after Breonna Taylor's murder. So imagine my fake surprise when I saw that the Oath Keepers were back again, gallivating all up and through D.C. Of course, they were a part of the terrorist attack on the Capitol just a few weeks ago. Not to go too deep into what they were doing there at the Capitol or why they had the audacity to feel they should be there because the point is beyond this moment. Let's go back to when the Oath Keepers showed up in St. Louis in 2014 and 2015. If government officials took our complaints and concerns seriously about the white armed militia, hello, being present at protests, as well as heavily armed police, maybe, just maybe, this trained militia would not have led the charge during this treasonous act a few weeks ago here in D.C. But then again, given the current administration, they probably still would have. Nothing about 45 and his goons should have given us any hope that the domestic terrorist takeover was anything but welcomed and that the threats about violence were anything but ignored. So this week, it's also pretty wild that I watched a 12-minute video from inside the murderous riot at the Capitol from a reporter working for The New Yorker. I just couldn't stop watching, though. It was the arrogance of the moment for me. (laughs) Like... The protection of whiteness is seen and felt throughout all 12 minutes. There is a casual ease between the treasonous traitors and the Capitol Police. This is beyond handling with kid gloves. This is beyond coddling. I know everyone has said if they were black, they'd be dead. But no, listen, for real. As someone who has had more nights than I can remember talking to God about next steps for my soul, if that night was indeed my last night on the planet, And nearly seven years after the murder of Mike Brown Jr., I can say without a doubt for everything we saw in that video footage from The New Yorker, it would have been a bloodbath if it were black people leading the charge. I watched it and replaced each person in that video with black bodies in my mind and tried to reimagine what this footage would have looked like if it was us. And just let me say, it would have been a massacre, a slaughterhouse. It was triggering to watch so much white privilege on display, watching how much white privilege allows very grown people to literally be coddled like infants while they are sitting in Nancy Pelosi's seat. For years, black thinkers, writers, leaders have spoken in depth about the two Americas. Remembering summer 2020 and comparing it with just the first few weeks of this new year, our examples are clear. As we go into this next week, I do hope that everyone is able to take care of themselves and take care of each other. Stay in community. Stay safe. Talk to y'all next time. Hey, you're listening to Pod Save the People. Don't go anywhere. There's more to come. Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top quality, personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com slash offer slash Sirius XM. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. 
No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. I'm sitting now with the host of the new podcast, Add to Cart, Sujin Park and Kulat Vasalyuk. Add to Cart is funny, it's sprawling, it's a discussion of what it means to be a consumer in 2020. It was a good conversation about what are the things that we buy. It's a different conversation for the pod. I learned a lot. It was fun to talk to Suchin and Kulap, and I want to share it with you. Let's go. Suchin and Kulap, thanks so much for joining us today on Pod Save the People. Thank you for having us. This is an honor. And what a time to be on this particular podcast, may I just say. And may I address the elephant sitting in my lap? Uh, we, there's a lot going on. So, uh, so yeah. there's no shortage of things to talk about. Both of you are new podcast hosts. Shout out to you. Uh, podcasting you. is much harder than people think it is. So shout out. Uh, but before we talk about the podcast that you have, let's talk about why now. Let's talk about... What is the podcast about? And like, what brought you to storytelling in this way? Both of you have had storytelling careers far longer than podcast land. Uh, so like, why now? Like, what's the what's the thrust? I have a background in acting and improv with the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, but it was podcasting that kind of helped me find my voice. So this is my 10th year of podcasting. Um, a little long in the tooth uh, in this world. <laughs> Um, but the podcast I did before, it was called Who Charted on the Earwolf Network. It was really fun to do, but I was looking to talk more about things that I am interested. Uh, and Suj and I uh, became friends through our work at Time's Up Entertainment. And just in our burgeoning friendship, I knew that we would have a really fun dynamic and this would be both a great way to explore the subject of the things that we buy into and also simply our friendship. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, the podcast is called Add to Cart and it's about all the things that we buy and then all the things we also buy into. So TV shows, concepts, philosophies, celebrity crushes. So you know, like Kulab said, we had met working together um, at the Time's Up organization. And so I think when we first sat down, we were like, oh, should we sort of do a version of that? You know, bring that to life and talk about Asian American identity and women in the workplace and that kind of thing. And from there, I think, at least for me, I wanted to have a way to have all those complicated and layered conversations amongst the conversations about stupid shit that we talk about all the time. You know what I mean? Face serums and why sometimes Amazon sucks and, you know, the shows we're binging on, but also talk about identity politics and growing up in immigrant families and being Asian American females in the media. So um, strangely, uh, somehow talking about the things that we buy gets us to the heart of the matter. And so far, fingers crossed, it's been a lot of fun. And I think What's great is every episode, yeah, we talk about things that we buy, but that also can segue into where we are in our lives and what matters and what breaks our hearts and what brings us joy. So it's been kind of, you know, a big emotional roller coaster every episode. It's very intimate. Yeah. <laughs> and what is it like to talk about what we buy in this in this such a weird context, right? Like you're so like why consumerism in this moment? Yeah, I don't know. What does that even look and feel like in a moment where people are definitely buying a lot, if not only because they're stuck at home? People are cash strapped in a way that they haven't been cash strapped in a long time. So, like, how do you think about consumerism in this moment? I mean, it certainly is one of one of the safest activities to do <laughs> in terms of online shopping, um, to speak to what you were saying. It's a dance. And I even bristle about like consumerism like that. It's like because that almost makes me feel like, you know, it sounds like we're a podcast about like reviewing things and it's dry and <laughs> and it's consumer reports, which is not my not vibe <laughs> at, at no. all. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's such a great question. I also think, too, though, for me, it's, you know, the kind of light bulb went off when we were talking about what type of show this is, because we were both like, well, we're not going to do reviews and 
be consumer reporters. Like that's not, you know, that's not what's interesting to us. What I think the concept of um, the add to cart is, is both what we buy, but also, like I had said, like all the things that we're obsessed with that we quote unquote add to our mental carts, you know? So that add to cart phrase is, is a really big open space. But I also think just in talking about consumerism and, and right now, I sometimes feel like when the world is the most chaotic, just to focus, <laughs> my last search was on like, I got curious about Japanese fermented soybeans called natto. And I just like went down a rabbit hole of like, where could I get a jar of natto beans right now and try the, you know what I mean? Like that little <laughs> piece of, of, of a half hour dive into something that I'm interested in buying, like for a moment, at least for me, just like stepped away from the chaos. And I also think we we have these phones and these like gadgets and we're always shopping. We have open carts, all of us, maybe dozens of open carts all over the internet. And technically you're currently shopping. You know what I mean? Like if you think about it, like these open carts, they're in the process of somehow being removed or added to, you know, your final cart of, you know, processing payments. So there's just, it's a confluence of a lot of those things. I think it's technology. I think it's an emotional kind of um, resonance and in in, in a way that we can control just the little things in our lives that we touch and feel and use in our daily lives. It's also like the Asian auntie in us, you know, <laughs> of like, let me tell you about you this, buy hand, this hand cream. What are you using? What is, you know, we're, we're, we like to give advice where advice is unsolicited or unwanted <laughs> and it's in our genes. Yeah. We have a lot of opinions. <laughs> I think also talking about this moment in time, it's, it's a, it's a way to support businesses that are hurting. Um, it, it's a way to endorse the practices and business practices of, of companies and, and to end it subsequently on the other side to not. Yeah. Um, I think how we spend uh, what finite um, resources we have is sort of its own sort of power. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you too, and I know that you, you know, this is a new podcast, which is the coolest part about it because you get to build it and like do all this cool stuff in this moment and get feedback. Is what, how, if at all, has talking about shopping I don't know, change the way you thought about it. I think about, so for myself, like, you know, race is what I, this is the work I do, the police, da, da, da. but talking about it every week is like a very different thing than like sitting in policy meetings and da, 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 da. And I'd love to know, like, how is talking about it? Like, is it, have you gotten feedback and people are like, well, wish you said this or like, da, da, da. or are you like, wow, we should probably talk about it this way. Cause this is like the better, I don't know. What has that been like? Hmm. I think it makes me uh, more mindful. I think initially, I mean, and I don't know if this is a smart thing to do to talk about this, but hey, why not? But like, you know, talking about Amazon, talking about my own habit of of leaning on that website and doing it, you know, I kind of like read articles uh, about it. I, I know uh, about sort of, yeah, yeah, the, the, the practices, uh, certainly during COVID for workers, but doing this podcast, really paying attention and going past my own ease of being able to click on things immediately, doing this podcast made me really sort of deep dive into what Amazon's been doing uh, for their workers during COVID, their practices as in regards to um, uh, tracking what products uh, work best on their website and them knocking it off and selling it for much cheaper, how Amazon has affected the consumer landscape, I mean, yeah. to think about the fact that Jeff Bezos has made more money <laughs> during COVID and not a little, <laughs> like Scrooge McDuck, multiple pools yeah. full of money. That's, it, 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 it's, it's the shortest answer to that question, Dee is I'm changing my habits yeah. because of it. Yeah. I, and for me, I concur on that. And by the way, there's a, there was this great article, P.S., um, I forget where I read it, about Jeff's ex-wife, who, I don't know if you read it, was uh, or talked about it, ha- is like possibly the single most, you know, generous donor of this past year, if not in decades. And then you sort of juxtaposition that to how much Jeff has given to um, charities. But anyway, I digress. So, 
there's that aspect of it. And I think it's also a real kind of, for me, been a personal journey. I'm like one of those people that reads about emotions, but has a really hard time registering <laughs> emotions or <laughs> being near emotions or talking about emotions. Um, and it just, I just funny, like yesterday we are, we have a new, uh, episode up about like, um, our budget fines and we started off a big chunk of the episode. And by the way, the episodes are like, when I say barely planned, I mean, barely planned. We have no idea what each one of us are bringing to the table each week. We have no script. We really have a loose like I'm talking about a two bullet point, like, okay, let's just talk about what you bought, what you hated and what you're watching. Like that's about our agenda. So we had started off this budget episode, having this hilarious conversation about both of us being from refugee and immigrant families and how we save everything and what that says. And last night I was posting about it and I went to go brush my teeth and I realized that I no longer buy adult toothpaste anymore because my kid's toothpaste is good enough. I'm sure it's not. I don't know if it is. <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't be putting strawberry flavor on my teeth. I'm 45, but let's, okay, so there. And then what I did was as I was running out, I was like, there's so much toothpaste in here. So I cut the end of it off and then I dipped the toothpaste in there and I'm brushing and I'm looking <laughs> and I'm looking at this like hack that I've and I I had just had a moment of self-reflection and I said, Sujin, what is it you're doing? And why? Why? Why are you doing? And it just kind of got me into this like really funny, but also, you know, a moment, a stop in that moment of like yeah, this is also me. Like, I am the person who has a $3,000 indoor sauna, but I'm also the person, as an immigrant, daughter of immigrants, that has to cut off my kid's toothpaste to then scoop out the rest of it to get every penny. I'm both of those people. Well, we um, contain multitudes. Yes, yes, cool up. <laughs> she said, waste not, one not. They say, waste not, one not. I Penny found, penny earned. I mean... <laughs> I mean, this is lotion and I'm not done with it yet. This is, oh, a, no. I'm yeah. showing them just a, a thing six of lo hand lotion. At least. There's si yeah, yeah, six more Left servings. Oh yeah. So let me tell you that there are, I only buy tech things when I like, like once or whatever. Cause I'm like, I shouldn't, cause I'll just go down the rabbit hole and be like, I think I need a new pair of headphones or a new computer. Or a new. So I like, so tech, I like, will look, I will look for days, but I will not, buy often because I just it's too much what's your equivalent of that I, you know I know on the self on the self-care one you know cool up I think you bring up um skincare stuff on that episode yeah, you, yeah. like so you're talking, talking about, like what's your version of the like mm, I probably don't need a lot of this stuff but I love mm. looking at it oh my goodness I mean everything you know, we were like joking about, we had this one episode where we had this category and neither one of us knew what we were going to bring. Um, and the category was, does this make me look weird? And I brought to the table a manual typewriter. Which and I was like, that's not weird at all. <laughs> but not maybe. weird at all, by the way. Cool up. You're like, <laughs> not weird at all. I felt really <laughs> self-conscious and weird, you know. But thank you so much. I I... Come out of the shadows, a bright butterfly. Um, but I mean, that has been lurking in an open cart, I don't know, probably for four or five months. That So in answer to your question, what is like that guilty pleasure? I really like to indulge in finding, and I talked about this earlier, about like obscure, mostly ethnic types of food. <laughs> that I can buy online that I won't be able to find in my town that is relatively small and has no ethnic foods or ethnic markets. And I used to live in LA, which obviously has Koreatown. So I'm so used to just going down the street and getting the stinkiest, most wonderful Korean food. And now I have to sort of go online. So I do that, but I don't always pull the trigger on it. I'm, I don't know. I, I mean, what Sujin, skincare. Like, I mean, come on. Oh, skincare is oh, the obvious. Come on. Oh, like, there's so it's many skincare that's too obvious. Oh, oh, I have so Do you really need all of them? No. Yes. No. Yes. What? Yes. I thought, 
Yeah. No, Sujin, you you are on record saying that all skincare is a scam. Oh, it's you a scam. You can't pull back now. Oh, no. Oh, no. But all skincare is a scam, but I need to try all of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and and not only just skin. I'm talking about skin tools like Cool Up and I've. I mean, I have so many infrared laser ideas resurfacing the zappers, all of that. Is the zapper real? Tell me, tell me. I was going to buy one today and then I I needed to look at more reviews because I didn't know if it was real. So yeah, well, D-Ray, D- that's a com- that's two things. That's your, your tech plus skincare. <laughs> that's the Venn diagram. <laughs> there are so many skin gadgets. I don't know. Like there's so many. It's hard to know what's real and what isn't with skincare. Like Kulab said, so much of it is um, marketing. Packaging. I would say that there are things that you could do for a pimple that's a lot less complicated than a zapper and just as, if not more effective. Okay. Yeah. Like those little, (laughs) little patches. You ever try a pimple patch? Those pimple patches? I've had had the patches before. Yeah, the patches. But I don't know. I mean, the zapper, I'm not sure if that works. I have to tell you the truth. Kulab, what about you? What's your guilty pleasure? Man, lately, this is, I got a, an electric bike, like a pedal assist bike. That was my splurge. You're still pedaling. Splurge. I'm, I am still, still pedaling. pedaling. Oh, I, I, my bike, you have to pedal. Mine doesn't have like any, like, but up, up the hills, it really helps. But mm-hmm. it's got to boost. Beautiful. It's got to boost up those hills. Um, and it's, of course, I'm... I am very aesthetically driven, so it looks like a a vintage bike with a battery on it, right? But the thought I had as Sujin's making fun of me that it's, you know, pedal assist was like, man, it would be cool if I didn't have to pedal. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, who pedals? Yeah, like, huh. That assist is just someone so guilty that, because the technology obviously exists where you could just sit. Oh and yeah, scoot oh. up that hill. Well, now, now this is you. You guys are asking me what websites I've been on. Now, know that I just got this bike, and I'm already looking at other bikes. You guys, I won't get it, and I've already tried to convince my husband to get the bike that I would want, and he said no. And so we're just gonna, we're just Pedal again. Back. My bike is perfect and fine. Pedal back. I, I that was good, Tushin. That was quick. That was quick. And she just got it. She literally. Just I don't know. It's been it. a month or two months. I, I got it. Yeah. I got it in December, guys. And I was like, yeah. oh, wow. Wow. And I was like, well, maybe that's who I am now. I'm a person who, had, who collects bikes. <laughs> oh, my, that's right. That's great. Y'all are hilarious. That's who I am now. One bike in. Um, what have you have you learned anything about yourself as a shopper? And I ask because one of the things that I realized that I'm getting myself out of is that I delay buying the basic things mm. for I don't know why, but I so like I need I've needed a soap dish for a year. <laughs> And I just have had the soap lying around the bathroom, literally just like bar here, bar there. Oh my God. So then the other day I was like, Dre, you just get it. They were a dollar a piece. It has completely changed the bathroom. But I realized that like I spend hours on like the big stuff, but I literally just like, I keep putting off the little things and I just, I've stopped that. And it's really been a good thing, but I learned that about myself. Wow. That's awesome. And I I have learned about myself in contrast to Suchin where she she really thinks about she deliberates i'm a sort of shoot first maybe regret later (laughs) maybe well i just described to you the bike situation (laughs) maybe i should have i thought i did enough research maybe i didn't but i i have no problem just like let's try it you know, let's buy five pounds of gummy bears and not think about what does five did pounds you really mean? buy five pounds of gummy bears? Oh my goodness. She did, but did. to her to her but she not only bought the five pounds of gummy bears, but then when she realized that there was no way a human could get through five pounds of gummy bears, she then, you know, um zip locked the rest of it and dropped it off at her friend's house. <laughs> So he we cannot enjoy. waste it, Ray. We cannot no. waste. So he could enjoy four pounds, four pounds of gummy bears. You see how it, it feeds the village? And really, you don't understand five pounds of gummy bears <laughs> until it's in your hands, in your arms, and you're cradling it like a toddler. And you go, why did you do this? Why did you do this? You don't even like them that much. <laughs> that is, you went on that one. <laughs> it was a journey. Oh my god, I love it. Um, and that's the type of baggage we could all leave behind. But share, also share. 
because I'm sure your friend was like, oh, look, I have four pounds of gummy bears for free. Um, yes, Kulab and I, I mean, I think, that, you know, it's great and it works for our podcast is we're very different shoppers. Like I'm the kind of person that deliberates over everything. Like I, <laughs> I have been known to like return something without even really trying it just because of that feeling of not having it is more satisfying than opening it. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I like preemptively return. Like I think I'm like, wait, I may want to return. Let me just return it. I could buy it again. Like that's how sick the disease is. Yes. So it takes me a while to buy something and then I regret it all the time. And if I love it, then I would just want to share it from the rooftops. And what's the last thing you loved? The last thing I loved, and we talked about this, was... Um, Blue Land. Which, oh, the Blue Land. That was a really good one. So uh, I bought these cleaning products, and this woman created this business, which is incredible. And, and you get a bottle, and then you just buy tablets. You may like this, actually, because it's kind of like... It totally works. So the thing about it is... Cool he up, leaned of course, in. Asked me. He leaned in. Is if you're a person who cleans with bleach this is not your thing. If you're a person who buys, you know, seventh generation or other eco products, this totally works. And so you never have to buy another plastic bottle in your life again. So that you get three or four glass bottles. They have a hand soap, I have window, bathroom cleaner, and then a countertop cleaner. And then you just buy the tablets and the tablets are $2, but they fill, I mean, the bottle is like this big. It's, it's like a full size bottle of whatever cleaning thing. It's really smart. It like makes Good sense. Good for the environment. Good. Yeah. It, it checked off all the boxes, which very few products do. You usually have to compromise on one or the other price or, you know, how effective it is. But this one kind of checked it off. And then we talked about something a while ago. I bought a toothbrush, like a manual Oral-B toothbrush with side bris- silicone bristles that like, it just gives me afternoon delights um, every day. That's like, not I how just, people use that it. term, Suchin. They don't call okay. afternoon it gives delight. Me, they don't it gives me it um, sensual pleasures every afternoon. No, that's, that's also again, not. No, mm. I don't think people would okay. Okay. associate that with a well, toothbrush. Yeah, I'll leave that I'll leave that on the table there. So, yeah. Y'all are best. Black, uh, when, when people listen, what can they expect? Uh, they can expect um, a, a, I think, a, hopefully, a, a lot of uh, laughs and with a, a little bit of uh, shopping tips. <laughs> I mean, that's it. A, a lot of laughs and a little bit of shopping tips. I think that's the tagline now. I think episode nine, we go forward with that. Well, thank y'all for coming. Uh, can see your friend the pod. Can't wait to have you back. Thank you thank so much. Thank you. Well, that's it. Thanks so much for tuning in to Pod Save the People this week. Tell your friends to check it out. Make sure to rate it wherever you get your podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts or somewhere else. And we'll see you next week. Pod Save the People is a production of Crooked Media. It's produced by Brock Wilbur and mixed by Bill Lands. Our executive producers, Jessica Cordova-Kramer and myself. Special thanks to our weekly contributors, Kai Henderson, D.R. Ballinger, and Samuel Sinyangwe. And our special contributor, Janetta Elsie. Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top-quality, personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com slash offer slash SiriusXM. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.